Hello, hello, and welcome to FO's The Takeaway. We round up the hottest takes around the NFL media landscape and put them to the test to see just how hot they are and just how right they are, if they've got a little bit of kernel of truth to them. I am here, as always, with my co-host, Jackson Roberts. Jackson, how are we doing on this fine Black Friday? We are doing very swell. A whole lot of turkey consumed last night, Kale. I'm going to tell you what. It was, it was a bad scene, but we've quickly turned it around, got the tryptophan out of the system, no more naps, because there was also some football played yesterday. A little spoiler, there's going to be some football played this weekend, so we're going to have to talk about all of it. That's what we do. Listen, you might have recovered. I am still, uh, I, I'm now at the point where, like, I've got a 24-hour food hangover from Thanksgiving. We'll get through, though, as we always do. Do what you do. Talk a little football, talk a little fantasy, talk a little pick em, and break down some takes. To lead off our usual Thursday night recap, we do have a New York quarterback to talk about. This was recorded pre-Thanksgiving, still thinks it holds a bit true. This one, coming from the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Ian Hardett said, I have to be pretty damn pleased with how Daniel Jones has been playing in the season. Let's take a look. Giants still sitting at 7-3. and three. You could maybe argue they got exposed a bit last week, but honestly, I thought that Daniel Jones really had his best game of the season, or at least he was asked to do more out there. He still had the mistakes, a couple interceptions, but that last touchdown drive he had, I mean, actually three straight throws that maybe kind of step back and say, damn, Daniel Jones doing some good things out there. And once again, doing it with pretty much nobody. I mean, the starting four wide receivers for this offense going into week one were supposed to be Kadarius Tony, who now resides in Kansas City, Sterling Shepard, who tore his ACL early on in the season, Wandale Robinson, who unfortunately tore his ACL, and the mannequin Kenny Galladay. So the fact that Darius Slayton has been truly, and I'm not trying to hate on Darius Slayton, but the fact that he has been their most consistent bright spot in the wide receiver room, like it makes sense that Daniel Jones has been putting up big-time passing numbers because who exactly is he going to be throwing the ball to out here? Daniel freaking Bellinger had that eye injury. He's still not back, and we're talking about Daniel Bellinger as someone that potentially could help out this passing game. So, again, Kevin, it's just one of those things where with Daniel Jones, they are trying to evaluate if he can be the quarterback of the future. And based on the weapons they've had there, I don't know how you could be anything else, but pretty damn pleased with how he's played this year. Jack. Pretty damn pleased with the performance thus far for one Daniel Jones. Put it on the meter. The take itself is right down the middle, I think. I think it's lukewarm. I think if you go back to the beginning of the season and think about what realistic expectations were for the New York Giants, and you look at where they are now, I totally agree. You are pleased with how it's progressed. The Giants are in a uniquely difficult position moving forward because they have a much better roster this year than anticipated, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They're competing on the fringes of a playoff spot now. Used to be they were sort of in competition for the division. I don't think anybody believed that was legit, but they're still in the playoff discussion. And yet this is a team that if you're looking towards building for the future, you don't know if Daniel Jones is the guy. 
He's up for free agency this offseason. You also have Saquon Barkley up for free agency this offseason. Granted, the Giants do have the third most overall cap space, but a lot of players still to sign. You have decisions to make. And I think it would have been a lot easier, honestly, for the Giants if Daniel Jones had just played 10% worse and you were like, all right, time to move on. I think you do have to be pleased with how he's played, but when it comes to passing the football, he's still 21st in passing DYAR. He makes up for that a lot with the rush. He's fourth in rushing DYAR, among quarterbacks, that is. And ESPN's total QBR stat, which factors in both, actually has him 10th in what they essentially deem overall quarterback play this year. Pretty darn good. That being said, are you going to tie your wagon to this guy moving forward? I don't know. So lukewarm take, but I don't think it addresses the real question for the Giants moving out of 2022. It's hot just because of what it's being couched in. It's being couched in that evaluation for the future, which I think is where the issue sort of lies. I get, this is by far, by the way, this is by far Daniel Jones' best rushing season as a quarterback. He has already surpassed his best rushing season 2020 just in terms of total yards, already scored four rushing touchdowns on the season, which is one less than he's scored in his last three seasons. And I also recognize that Jones currently, I know it's not the best UIAR, but still, he has the best passing DVOA of his career. And he's throwing to Richie James, Isaiah Hodgins. You know, outside of Derry Slayton, you're not really getting a lot of, like, offensive talent to work with. By the way, side note, that Kenny Galladay contract might be the worst in the league. Oof. (laughs) Has 10 targets on the season in 11 games. Just... You know, you're paying him $72 million, I think. By far one of the worst contracts in football that currently exists on the roster. And reset the market for wide receiver contracts in many ways. Other receivers are getting overpaid because Kenny Galladay is getting paid so much to give you 11 catches. Yeah, Kenny Galladay walked so Christian Kirk could fly. Exactly. So with that considered... I think it's definitely hot considering, like, he's really had nothing to work with and has existed far beyond anyone's expectations. With that being said, you also have to compartmentalize this with, what, two years of Joe Judge. You have, like, Jason Garrett in the mix as a play caller. Now you're Brian Dable, who fully facilitated Josh Allen's year three leap. Like the coaching infrastructure around him is that much better, which makes you think how much better could this be with another quarterback that at least has some monicum of rushing ability? Because the Giants were the losing half of any given Sunday this week, and you watch those picks, I'll I'll give them the Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson stunts, like fakes his pass rush move, drops right back into the passing lane, and Jones kind of just throws it on timing. 
because he was open a half second before he looked. Then he's got Aiden Hutchinson in his face. I'll give him that. It's a bit of a surprise one. The Kirby Joseph pass was abysmal. And they were like, Jones had, I wrote in the article, Jones had his best passing day of the season. His third best passing day of his career from a volume perspective. And it felt really empty. Like it felt like there were just, it's a lot of intermediate over the middle stuff that's not going for a ton of yak. Then there's a bunch of short yardage passes that are getting a ton of yards after the catch. Doesn't have a ton of strikes past 15 yards downfield. And when he does, the completions that those are getting are coming on that last drive, which is pretty much your down three scores to the Detroit Lions. Like, I have some issues with Jones's performance, and I wonder how much better it could be with another quarterback because we recognize the system's good. We recognize they're exceeding expectations with a much worse receiving core. And while there probably aren't many better options out there currently that you wouldn't be able to get, you know, through the draft, I don't like how much are you going to hemorrhage for Derek Carr when you're still a rebuilding team? How much are you going to leverage for Jimmy Garoppolo in free agency to like how much of your cap are you willing to give up in that regard? Like he's pro like Jones at this point is developed into a good stopgap quarterback, but like how much longer do you want to last with that while you're rebuilding? Yeah, and that's the thing, right? Is if the Giants go three and fourteen this year, then they're picking at the top of the draft, and we we still have that faith in Brian Dable. By Brian Dable building this into such a competent team in year one, suddenly you don't have the draft capital to get one of those, you know, no such thing as a sure thing, but at least guys with that high pedigree coming out of college. The free agent market, like you said, for quarterbacks is pretty iffy this offseason, and Daniel Jones is a part of that free agent market. Uh, you could tag him, but then, you know, the Barkley contract, you can only use the tag on one of those two guys. Uh, and, you know, of all that cap space, you figure they might want to spend some of it on a receiver, too. So there's a lot of things up in the air here with this team. I'm really curious to see which direction they take it, because there's, you know, obvious upside especially with how well that defense has progressed this year I think Kayvon Thibodeau looks more and more like a game wrecker every week even if he doesn't have the sacks to show for I mean five quarterback hits yesterday is awesome it's just a really interesting predicament that I don't really see any other teams kind of in their exact position and I'm curious as to what direction they go next year yeah and especially like I don't know there's different things like Jones was able to have a like Jones didn't rush as well against Dallas last night. Who in Dallas is like a fantastic overall defense with a great front seven that probably has a better way to plan for Jones because they've seen them more. The Lions like Jones benefited a ton from playing the Lions because they crash down really hard and bite hard on play action, which allowed Jones to scamper for like eight yards a carry against a, like a middling Detroit defense. Middling is generous, Killer. Bad, bad defense. Yeah, I'm being kind here. But still, like, it's, it's very, it's even then, situation. Like, the last passing touchdown, the only passing touchdown he had against the Lions came in that garbage time. Did have, you know, a rushing score, but I don't, I don't know. It, it, it will be very interesting to see how the Giants handle this offseason. It is 
the probably the team I am most intrigued to watch come the end of the season. Absolutely. I, I think just as a baseline here, Kale, you're going to want to get a receiver for next season that can catch more than two touchdowns by the end of week 12. That is a struggle. You would like to have someone that you're looking for as a target down in the red zone. Listen, their best their best options don't have working ACLs right now, Jackson. So not like they have much of a choice. Sticking with the quarterback's conversation, but moving on to our headlines. We have Andrew Filippone from 93.7, the fan in Pittsburgh. Talking a little quarterback of his own in one Kenny Pickett. Kale. When local reporters, radio personalities, etc. have takes about their quarterback, they're always going to be a little bit stronger, I feel, than the national average. But in this particular case, Andrew Filipponi is going out on what I consider to be a pretty steep limb when he says on the old Bird app, quote, Kenny Pickett will be a top 10 quarterback in 2023. Mark my words. Kale, I don't just want you to put this one on the meter, but let us see in a real thought exercise here how realistic is it Kenny Pickett could even be in the, in the fringes of becoming a top 10 quarterback in 2023. Well, if we're really going to think about this exercise as like, if we're going to respect Philippone, not just throw in you know, chum in the water, trying to stir up a conversation. And we really respect him as this is a take worth breaking down. The way he gets there is Pittsburgh, one, doesn't have Matt Cannon. Uh, I think that's the biggest first step. Uh, it is a complete rejuvenation of the offense. It is Pittsburgh leaning on Pat Fryermuth, George Pickens, Deontay Johnson. They find a third receiver somehow in the draft as well. And they build yet another elite young receiving core. They also have Najee Harris bump up in the run game. They have Jalen Warren as a quality supplementary back. And they make some improvements along the offensive line. That being said, Jackson, if we are working with our current version of Kenny Pickett, I do not see it. So, Ben Baldwin's RBSDM by Air Yards, Kenny Pickett, 20th. Per pro football reference, Kenny Pickett has a completed air yards per pass attempt of 3.4 this season. That's bad. That's very, very bad. That is not the kind of efficiency you're going to get out of. Like, that, like that's not going to generate anything. That's barely picking up a first down if you pass it three times a down and make every single pass. Or, or three times a series and bat and make every single pass, which you're not going to. 
because he's also not completing that level of like his completion percentage isn't there for that. His CPOE plus EPA ranks 25th among quarterbacks right now. His DYAR and DVOA are not much better. I think they're both a little bit worse, in fact. <laughs> 26th. Yeah, so <laughs> for him to take this big a leap, not only does he have to start striking downfield at a much higher rate than he has at any point shown the ability to in his rookie season, not only does he have to, you know, up his completion percentage, work with more receivers, like work, also learn a new playbook, because in this case, we're firing Matt Canada. But he also that, obviously. But he also has to surpass, like, there are, I'd say, eight quarterbacks right now that are locks for top ten this year. Like, Mahomes, Allen, Tua, Herbert, uh, Lamar Jackson. I'd continue to throw Hurts in there. Uh, there have to be people I'm missing. Like, I, I think Brady's in, Brady's in there, Burrow's in there. Uh Right now, we have Jimmy Garoppolo sitting third in both DYAR and DVOA. Maybe chalk some of that up to Shanahan, but he's not been terrible. Uh, you know, you've got guys like Derek Carr and Aaron Rodgers sitting on the fringes where they find a different system. Maybe it works. You've got major surprises like Jacoby Brissett and Geno Smith eating up some of that capital. You also expect improvement out of a guy like, you know, Say a Trevor Lawrence, say a Mac Jones. Uh, you also expect, you know, a Dak Prescott to enter that conversation because he currently doesn't qualify for our DVOA rankings because of lack of snaps. Although the Cowboys have also been averaging like 33 points in games that Dak has played. So big help there. Uh, hey, hold your, hold your Dak takes, Kale. A little spoiler alert. Those are coming. We'll save those. But regardless, like, there are so many people that Kenny Pickett would have to, leap, have to leapfrog. And there are so many people. Like, like, you would have to see such a transcendently different level of play from Kenny Pickett for him to year over year jump into the top 10 quarterback conversation, let alone firmly supplant himself in there. Yeah, I... First of all, I agree with the vast majority of what you said. And if we're going to put it, if we're going to put it on the take meter, uh, I think if a national writer, radio personality came out and said this, I would have no problem putting it burning hot, scorching hot, wherever we are these days on the, uh, on the vocab. But since it is a Pittsburgh writer, I'll just go like right at the top end of hot. Can't quite get it to scorching, but I think the blueprint that a Pittsburgh radio personality would be seeing right now is the Miami blueprint. We would have said this time last year, there's no way. Tua becomes a top 10 quarterback. You get the new offensive mind of the building. Now, first of all, Pittsburgh would have to find that offensive mind and lure them in to come coach Kenny Pickett. Uh, so that's not exactly a given. And it's easier when you're looking for a head coach versus just an offensive coordinator to bring in those top offensive minds. But there is a blueprint where you can see a big leap 
put him in the right system. You bring in one or two more weapons. Uh, you really sort of maximize what he's good at, uh, which I think was more well-defined with Tua. It was that he was very accurate and could get the ball out very quickly. It just, you know, it was clear what the limitations were with him really pushing the ball outside the numbers and such, and he's even gotten better at a lot of those things. I don't know if we see that blueprint with Kenny Pickett, and I don't necessarily think that the infrastructure is likely to be there as it has been for a guy like Tua in Miami this year. Even with Tua in Miami, and this really isn't like revisionist history, it wasn't that like, oh, Tua can't throw the deep ball. It's like, oh, we haven't seen Tua throw the deep ball. Like one of the biggest highlights is like to his first like first big play at Alabama is him hitting that strike in overtime against Georgia to win in overtime in the national championship. Like that is a forty plus yard pass in the strike. Like he had a deep ball, it just wasn't in the infrastructure of the Miami offense. At least not in a manner as frequent as it is in the McDaniel offense. Like again. Deep balls are also things that can be improved over time. Like, you can work on arm strength. You can work on technique. You can work on torque. And, man, it certainly helps having guys like Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle being able to stretch the field. And, man, it helps to have a mind like Mike McDaniel who is constantly scheming up new ways to get these guys open and pushing the boundaries of what the current, you know, offensive play-calling capabilities are against a defensive team. like really pushing the limits of how defenses can respond, showing them new things, getting guys open in space vertically. Those yeah. guys are few and far between. Like, you, we, we're not seeing that out of Kenny. Like, we're not seeing that kind of arm strength out of Kenny. That was consistently a trait that was, like, pushed against in college, like that he didn't have the arm. Like, his whole thing was that he was a processor. Like, <laughs> The Tua model is not how like the Tua model is not catch all. Like I like it's it's fantastic for the guys that have those tools, but Kenny Pickett like wasn't touted as a guy with those tools in college. And the other thing about Tua and his situation versus Pickett's is the line situation, where in Tua's first couple of years, Miami's line ranged anywhere from below average to deplorable. And they've gradually built it into what is at least a league average line, especially when it comes to pass protection right now. They're eighth in the NFL in adjusted sack rate. And Pittsburgh's is still hovering around the middle of the pack, which honestly I think has improved from what it could have been as well. But still, I think nine places below Miami. So a long way to go for them to build up that line to a point where they can really put him in a position to succeed as well. Yeah, certainly. And they don't have massive names like, you know, Chuan Armstead, or I believe Conor McGovern at Severn uh, Center. Uh, a very underrated, huge signing of the offseason was like, not only does Miami bring in Tyreek Hill, who's a transcendent receiver, they bring in a borderline transcendent left tackle as well. Again, we, yeah, we might get accused of taking away from Tua's year. Tua's had a phenomenal year, but also like you have to tip your hat to how much better they've made his situation. I don't think Pittsburgh's capable of that much improvement for Pickett. Moving on, diving out of quarterback talk and into the second most contentious landscape of debate in the NFL, into head coaching talk. Headed over to the Ringer Fantasy Show, providing us a very non-fantasy take 
on Los Angeles Chargers head coach Brandon Staley. Former. Former. Fourth down guru from around the league. Pushing the boundaries of what teams could do. And really leaning into that fourth down play calling in 2021. Hasn't quite been there in 2022. And the Ringer Fantasy Football Show goes as far as to say that Brandon Staley is coaching scared. I thought it was weird that Staley punted on fourth and inches to the Chiefs. Ugh. His entire yeah. brand is not doing that. It was really odd. I'm just kind of like, I'm just looking at this game. And I'm like, I like Brandon Staley. I think he's a good coach, but <sighs> getting harder to defend. I'm not sure he is a good coach. Why do you like him? I actually think it took courage to like actually come out and do the fourth down stuff. I think the combo of like you once you do that and that's your mentality, he's deviated from it this this year in ways I found very difficult to defend. He had like a fourth and four, fourth and five or something uh, against the Browns where he went for it, and I was it just felt absolutely reckless, and it was not backed up by math or analytics or anything. And then meanwhile, he also like against the Chiefs, like declined this fourth. Like it was one of those fourth and inches where the blue line and the yellow line were like intersecting. Right, right. Like it was like the same line. Green. It was just green, just a green line. <laughs> and I'm like, Justin Herbert's six foot six. I get you're on the 45 yard line, but like it's this is your whole shtick. It's like if you believe in all this stuff, there's no doubt. Brandon Staley at one point <laughs> called out as not sure he's a good head coach, but called into question whether or not he's coaching scared reverting from his fourth down tendencies, his aggressive coaching tendencies, put it on the board, Jackson. I'm going back to lukewarm because I think it's obvious if you watch the Chargers this year that the fourth down, not just aggression, but success has plummeted. And that's where I'm really going to draw the distinction here is it's not necessarily that he's 100% scared to go for on fourth down. Maybe that's ticked up as of late. The 2021 Chargers, Kale, they were actually third in terms of fourth down aggression. These are stats per stat news. They were third in fourth down attempts. They were fourth in the NFL in fourth down success rate. So when you combine those two, it was easy to see why people were saying the Chargers, oh, it's a fourth down revolution. They're going forward a lot. It's going great. This season, they're still fourth in the NFL in fourth down attempts at 19, but they are 25th in success rate. So that is a massive drop-off. You can blame any number of factors. You can blame Joe Lombardi's play calling. You can blame it on, okay, maybe the league's figured out a little bit some of these concepts they like to run on fourth down. You can blame it on the injuries at the wide receiver position, but... It's easy to see why, moving forward, Staley might be more scared to go for it on fourth down because it just hasn't been working. They've been, they've been trying, and they can't pick it up. And I don't know whether you blame, like I said, Lombardi for that, if Staley needs to be doing a better job making sure they have these fourth down plays properly installed before calling the go for it, but there is a lot at play here. Uh... And I mean, yeah, you can you can come up with any number of criteria to assess whether or not Staley is still a good coach. But the fourth down piece of it, I think I chalked most of it up just to it's not working when they try. Jackson, there is a, it's it's fascinating. I wrote a 
feature on this for a class new house last year going into the fourth down revolution of 2021. And Staley's a fascinating character in that story because there are just so many, like he did significantly pivot his decision to start, like he changed how aggressive he was on fourth down after a game against the Baltimore Ravens ends up being a close game, but a loss that was made way more egregious by how many fourth downs he missed. Ends up being 34-6 Ravens. And there's three different occasions where Staley goes for it, misses, and then the Ravens answer with a score. Like, the Ravens really poured it on at points, and it just got bad. And this year hasn't been much. Like, I'm fascinated by the examples that they gave. Like, the examples that they decided to give for this, like, that – Chiefs fourth down, very close, in an aggressive game. You know you need those kinds of plays to beat a team like this. Look at a team like the Lions on Thursday. Oh, please. Get into that one. I was just thinking about the Lions. That's an obvious one, especially coming out of this. And that's another another team whose 2021 schedule I bring up a lot. Just because that Rams game sticks at me so significantly, going for two, going for it, like going for onside kicks early in those games, like, and pushing the Rams that were firing on all cylinders on offense, had an elite defense. Like the Lions jumped out to a lead early in that game because it's the only thing they know they can do. They don't have the gas to stick with it. Same deal as the Bills. Like, you have to make those, like, fourth and short conversions in your own zone to, like, play hyper-aggressive, to win the win probability battle, to keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. And the thing I like most about it is the play calling. Like, you got Amon Ross St. Brown on that end around. Like, deep in your own zone, that's how you pick it up because it's create, like, you're fake. Like, you've got single back. You're under center. Like, you can run dive, you can run inside zone, but you're showing heavy that you're going to run up the middle, and then you fake and go outside. And if he had better blocking, he's going to the house. Yeah, man. There's the, the Lions last season are both the most aggressive in history in fourth down attempts, the most attempts ever, and the most successful conversions ever. I think it really flips around the Patriots game this year where they go 0 for 6 on fourth down. Another game very much like that Chargers-Ravens game you talked about last year, where the final score ends up being 29-0, but the yardage stats, even the success rate stats for the offenses are very similar. And the Lions missing all those fourth downs, plus you've got a pick six thrown in there, makes it look like an entirely different game. You fast forward to yesterday, the Lions get in that late game situation, suddenly they start treating the clock as if it's their friend, their taking the time all the way down on the play clock. They get into that third and one. They throw a deep pass. It's incomplete. 
rather than go for the fourth and one, they think, okay, what's our best chance to win this game? It's Badgley makes a 50-plus yard field goal. He's already missed from 29 in this game. And we stop Josh Allen from getting a field goal, who we know has the most rocket arm in the history of rocket arms. And we somehow win this game in overtime, whether that's us getting the coin toss or whatever. That's so many factors that come into play rather than them just thinking, let's go win this game right now. And I wonder how much the previous failures on fourth down in that Patriots game or otherwise weigh into Campbell's less aggressive decision-making in that situation. This has gotten very far away from Brandon Staley. By the way, it's more of a fourth down success conversation, but I do think it factors in. It's like if you you start taking detractions, how much does that play into your future aggression when you previously had it? But he is a factor in that, of course. We also, Football Outsiders has a statistic called power success. It's a percentage of runs on third or fourth down, two or less to go that achieved a first down or a touchdown. Also includes runs first and goal or second and goal from a two-yard line or closer. It also includes quarterback play in this, which I'm fascinated by. Because right now, Chargers are 22nd in power ranking on offensive line and quarterback play. Justin Herbert specifically on fourth down. Three attempts has gained one total yard. I don't know if that's... I know they've been very banged up in offensive line. Losing Corey Lindsley, losing Rayshon Slater. Like, it's been a real tough battle for them on their offensive line trying to keep guys healthy, and it's been a pretty constant rotation. If that's a factor, maybe. But between Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler, Eckler also, two attempts for three yards, has only picked up one first down. That doesn't also, like, they haven't passed to him once in open space. They haven't done anything creative in that regard. It's just not what I thought that we'd be getting out of, like, whether Joe Lombardi, who did so much good with the New Orleans Saints and really put together an impressive offense in 2021 with the Chargers, whether it's a Brandon Steele, like there's just not a lot of creativity there. Like, like they have these weird matchup games where they play much worse than we'd ever expect them to. And it's just the expectations that we have for this team don't meet the actual output. And I feel like there's a lot – that falls on Brandon Staley's shoulder with regards to just further evaluation of this team. Did you just Ted Lasso the Chargers, Kale? Did you just... Because I guarantee you Brandon Staley is a huge Ted Lasso guy. So if he's going around that locker room saying, be a goldfish, I could totally see that. Um, yeah, I think, you, I think you mostly said it all. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting conundrum. This team, in a lot of ways, looks very different than their 2021 selves. And after kind of winning the offseason, I think there's going to be a lot of bloodlust among not just Chargers detractors, but whatever Chargers fans are out there, uh, certainly the front office. Um, I don't know if heads are certainly going to roll, but if they miss the playoffs, it feels like Staley and Lombardi are first on the chopping block. So we're actually going to come back to the Chargers making the playoffs at the end of the show, teaser, teaser. Uh, but that is very much on the table, I think, and, and certainly Staley. is going to have some answering to do for the lack of success on fourth downs this year.
Moving on. Back into the quarterback discussion. Jackson, it is, it is very rare that we will post a clip from the same media member in multiple weeks, let alone back-to-back weeks. Colin Coward had a take that was so juicy that we just had couldn't ignore. I know, right? Uh, so, again, Colin Coward comes on here last week. He rocks our world with the Jalen Hurts can't play from behind take. Uh, Jalen Hurts does end up getting a comeback win this week. One can argue the merits of that, yada yada. But he is sticking spicy in the quarterback world. We hear a lot of quarterback versus quarterback debates, right? The Tua Herbert thing shook the foundations of our show for sure uh, and has ramifications across the internet all the time. There's Brady Manning historically. There's Brady Rogers in recent years. There's Mahomes Allen. You can go in any number of directions. But Colin Coward wants to start the Dak Prescott-Jimmy Garoppolo discussion. Let's hear what he has to say. If Dak went 20 for 29 for 228 yards, four TDs and no interceptions, and you criticized him, you'd get major pushback. Those are Garoppolo's numbers. If you compliment him, you get pushback. You can't love Dak and not love Garoppolo. Same guy. Can't carry a team to playoff wins, but can certainly guide a team to playoff wins if the surrounding talent is good. They're not going to come back from 15, 17, 18 down in the fourth quarter. They're not Mahomes. They're not Burrow. They're not Brady. That's not what they are. Uh, There's a certain way and a style. They have to be in close games, leading, slightly down. Um, Garoppolo is the most disrespected player in the league. Ooh. Okay. A lot to digest there. We can come back to the most disrespected player in the league point, but we'll set that aside for now. (laughs) I'd like to. Strictly speaking, Jimmy Garoppolo, Dak Prescott, quote, they're the same guy. Bet on the meter for me, please. It's hot. It's hot, bordering, scorching. Listen, I get where he's coming from in a degree. Like, like this take is so hot that I feel like I've got to give some kind of ground to, like, then push back on it. I don't even know where to begin, Jackson. Like, no. Like, I think they're different players. I think Dak is a higher ceiling. I think Dak has about as at the same floor, arguably a higher floor. I think he's a much better quarterback. I think you've seen the difference in this Dallas Cowboys team from just an offensive production standpoint between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. And I'm also now not comparing Cooper Rush to Jimmy Garoppolo, but like you see the major impact as a passer that Dak Prescott has on this team. Like you see that he has like, he has some odd, odd situations. Like, some of those, even still, like, I, I want to, like, discredit him for some of those interceptions against Green Bay that cost him that game. But even still, like, Greg Olson points out on the broadcast, I write about it on any given Sunday, both of those are major miscommunications within the offense of the Dallas Cowboys. Like, placement better, whatever, like, adjust, see, see the miscommunication. 
But at the end of the day, those are two miscalled plays that fall on the shoulders of C.D. Lamb, Dalton Schultz. Like, they're on them and not Dak. And I'm not, like, completely absolving Dak of any fault. Like, but he's a much better, he's a much better quarterback than you. And it doesn't show, like, in DVOA and DYAR because Jimmy Garoppolo is third in the league in DVOA and DYAR right now. He's playing elite, elite football. But I think just, like, from a pure intangibles and talent perspective, Dak is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's in a worse offense than Jimmy Garoppolo. He has worse weapons around him than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, Jimmy Garoppolo is getting a lot of help. And I'm not, like, again, not making excuses on Dak from, like, oh, yeah, Dak should have more help. Like, has C.D. Lamb, has a good receiving core in, like, Lamb, Gallup, Noah Brown. You saw against the Giants last night, I think Dan Orlovsky said it on Twitter, that Dallas is becoming a tight end first team as well. So, like, having that uh, additional tight end help, having that additional run game, all these things are benefits to Dak Prescott. That being said, he's a better he's a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's a higher ceiling than Jimmy Garoppolo. He can do more than Jimmy Garoppolo. He's better, like deep passer than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, I, I Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo. Does he take <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo? Let's let's talk like slightly more traditional stats for a sec because the efficiency is going to be there, and of course it helps that he's in a Kyle Shanahan offense, and we've known this about Jimmy G that he. When things are going right, he can guide an offense and look very good doing it. Passing yards is maybe an underrated stat at this point because we look so closely at the efficiency numbers, at the CPOE, at the DVOA. But, like, if you're not driving the ball down the field, if you're not the thing that's making your offense tick, that's at least a mark against you in the quarterback column, right? And Jimmy Garoppolo is 19th in the NFL in passing yards. He's sandwiched right between Daniel Jones and Davis Mills. Now, he's played one less game than Mills and two less games than Jones, so he would be a little bit higher. But he's also 20th in ESPN's QBR stat, which, again, takes into account overall production, takes into account rushing stats, etc., etc. So, like, there are very good efficiency numbers for Jimmy Garoppolo, but to pretend that he's ever the the engine that's making the offense tick is just uh, it's it's never going to be the truth and while Dak isn't a Patrick Mahomes where he is the sole driving factor that can make an offense tick he is asked to do much more he's excellent in the pre-snap he's not as exciting a quarterback as those very top tier guys that are going to make plays either on the run or show off ridiculous arm talent but there's a ceiling there with the mobility with the ability to fit the ball into tight windows, with the willingness to throw like a deep corner out, that just I don't think is there with Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think historically, if you look at you know the top end of Dak Prescott's seasons, 2020 comes to mind. He's capable of really lighting it up in a way that we'll just never see Garoppolo do. Uh, just the ability to like come close even to the top of the league in passing yards and still have good efficiency stats. He was seventh last year in passing yards. Jimmy G actually 12th, which is probably better than you can usually expect from him. Like there's just a higher ceiling there and there always will be. Like there's something to be said about like that level of consistency in the top, you know, uppermost echelon of the league. 
that being said, it's just like I don't know. Like Dak's doing more. Like Dak's doing more to help a team win. Like helping a team win more than Jimmy Garoppolo. What is surprising to me, I will say, you expand. I'm on I'm on RPSDM right now, Ben Baldwin's website. You go 2019 to 2022. Jimmy Garoppolo is third in EPA per play. Dak Prescott's eighth. Like that's crazy to me. Like, which He's is efficient. where I want to get into the second part. Where Jimmy Garoppolo is one of the most disrespected quarterbacks in football. Like, and I I I, I think it's I think it's this. Obsession, uh, maybe an obsession, but fixation that media members have on the ceiling, like the recognition of the ceiling. Also, if you adjust, if you just move from 2019, if you make it from 2019 to 2022 to 2020 to 2022, Garoppolo drops down to eighth, Prescott drops down to tenth. It's just like there's this fixation on the hot on the highest possible execution of the quarterback position. And the fact that we've gotten so used to seeing like Mahomes, greatness out of Allen, Rodgers, like consistency from Brady, like like Brady in an Arians offense where now he's stretching the field. Like we've gotten so used to this high level play that I feel like we sometimes forget about like the floor. Like we forget about like just being able to like execute an offense day in, day out. Like Really drive that. And as always, got to close out by holding ourselves up to some scrutiny, putting ourselves out there. Jackson, we got some takes of our own to give. Why don't you start? I would love to, Kale. We just spent a lot of time disparaging the L.A. Chargers, questioning the validity of their playoff candidacy, mostly focusing on fourth down but bringing ahead a lot of the systemic issues they have. Here's the thing. With all that being said, my take this week is that the currently ninth-ranked LA Chargers in the American Football Conference are still going to make the playoffs. Now, this take gets a little bit less spicy when we consider the Patriots' loss on Thursday night to Minnesota. According to ESPN's Football Power Index, that bumped their playoff odds from 45% to 52.6%. DVOA thinks less of the Chargers. They, the odds have not updated since the Patriots lost, but coming into the week, they only had it at a 31.1% chance. Here's where I couch the take. I think the Chargers end up going 10-7. Why is that? Their remaining schedule, Kale, has some true cupcakes. They go at Arizona, at Vegas, then two tough games, home for Miami and Tennessee. Then they go at Indy, home for the Rams, which is really just a neutral site game, and at Denver, Kale. That is the easiest remaining schedule of opposing offenses. So far to this point, they have played the second hardest schedule of opposing offenses behind only the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they've gotten to this point. It's looked really bad, but it's about to get a whole lot easier. And the Patriots have one of the toughest remaining schedules, and the Cincinnati Bengals have one of the toughest remaining schedules. I think if the Chargers win 
five of those final seven games, they're definitely in. And I think they still even have a chance if they go four and three. Listen, don't hate it. Don't hate it. That being said, the success of this Chargers team feels so dependent on who they have available. Whether it's like, I don't know. I can't see them winning many games with Josh Palmer and DeAndre Carter, no matter how weak their remaining schedule is. I still have some questions. They have to be I, like I like it. There aren't many standout teams in the AFC. By the time this season is over, I feel like it'll almost flip what our preseason prognostication or predictions were where we thought the AFC was this loaded juggernaut conference and the NFC was going to be like two contenders and no one. Now the NFC is looking like a hot race and no one seems to want to sit atop the AFC outside of Kansas City. I just don't know, Jackson. Like, Here's what the take boils down to. They have to pass two of the following three teams. The Jets with Mike White. Slash Zach Wilson, slash Joe Flacco, who knows? The Patriots, who are now tied with them in the loss column and play the Bills twice and Miami again. And I think Tennessee's in there as well. And then you well, Tennessee's gonna get in the division. So Yeah. It's it's gonna be tough. And then finally, the Bengals, who still have a host of tough games. New England and Cincinnati play each other, they play the Bucks, they play the Ravens. It's gonna be really tough. That's all I'm saying. I think it boils down to remaining schedules. It works out easier for the Chargers. I don't hate it. That that last game against Denver has big shades of last year's Vegas Chargers game where it really comes down to them winning it. And at this point, I don't fully know if I trust the Los Angeles Chargers to do that. Yeah, but the Raiders were going for a playoff spot too then. At this point, you don't know if the Broncos are going to have a head coach. There's there's a whole litany of factors that go into that game. I'll give it to you. I think it's I think it's a little hot. It's hot because it's the Chargers. It's hot because this is a cursed franchise, which we have established on our shows on this platform this year. So that is what worries me more than any of the X's and O's is that I'm I'm banking on the Chargers here. Well. The hot one I've got for you, the Mike White decision is about, is the exact thing the Jets needed. It's about as good of a decision as you could have asked. This team, this Jets team is picking up at least two more wins with league average quarterback play. And I know some of that, two of those losses come with Joe Flacco. Doesn't help my case. That being said, I just keep coming back to this Mike White game against the Cincinnati Bengals. He was immediately figured out after that where the follow-up game against the Buffalo Bills, Buffalo Bills just sat in shallow zones, picked apart all the checkdowns that Mike White was going for. That being said, if they open up the playbook just a little bit more, now that Mike White's been there, He's been there for a year. He's known the system. He's also earned the backup quarterback spot, according to Connor Rogers, 
But that was an active substitution that the Jets made for Mike White being the active backup QB2 on game days over Joe Flacco. So if he's earned the right to be that guy, I think it's better for them. Zach Wilson offers this huge upside, the stuff that got him drafted number two overall out of BYU. That comes from these 60-yard pass plays that he gets with five seconds of drop-back time, all the protection in the world. None of that has existed in the Jets' offense because it's unrealistic to offer that to a second-year quarterback. But he's not hitting, like, the intermediate stuff. Like, he's, like, one ball, like that one ball to uh, the Denzel Mims against the Patriots. Uh, he hits, like, 35 yards down the field. Like, that's the one pass a game that he'll get above 20 yards. If you open it up a little bit more for Mike White, where he's not just targeting, like, eight yards and in from the line of scrimmage, it's fine. Like, you can make it work. The rest of this team is good enough where you just need, like, 18th best in the league quarterback play. You just need a guy who can, like, maybe hit a 12-yard dig down on, like, a 60% play. Like, you just need something. Like, We're and not I'll, asking for much here. I know, which is why it shouldn't be that hot. But you just get a little bit more execution. This is a playoff team, which is why I'm now hedging against your Chargers thing because I think the Jets regain their spot. This is an elite, elite defense that will be elite for a long time. They have the offensive weapons to get there. I think any change at quarterback is going to be better for Elijah Moore, who has just been on a milk carton this year, like full disappearance after I thought he was very good as a rookie, very skilled, came on late before that injury in week 12, had a nice five-week window where he was like a top 15 wide receiver by DYAR and DVOA. There's a world where Mike White is the answer, at least for this season. Next year, you dip into the draft or you dip into free agency and you find a guy who can be the stopgap. But right now, you just need some sort of elevation in quarterback play to get to the playoffs. And Mike White might be the answer. Might. <laughs> now, we, I'm have, I'm we, have really, we have really two full games of empirical evidence from Mike White last year, one of which is the Bengals game you talked about where he should absolutely be lauded with praise. The other of which is that Buffalo game. Let me just read you his stat line from that Buffalo game. 24 of 44, 251 yards, no touchdowns, four interceptions. Almost a full Nathan Peterman. So you don't necessarily know that you're getting that consistency, but where I think I agree with you, I know I agree with you, I just I don't know if it's going to pan out for them, is the intermediate stuff. It's opening up the offense more for not just Elijah Moore, but Garrett Wilson as well. It's getting a more productive passing game output from Michael Carter, who I think we expected more from ever since the Brees Hall injury happened. And I don't want to blame him for the lack of production, but it hasn't been there. And I think it can be there, whether that's with White or just with any other quarterback under the sun. Uh, and there's the whole issue as well of like, how does the locker room respond to all of this? There was clearly an element of, do the guys trust Zach Wilson? I think if the trust was fully there, he's still the quarterback. And obviously there have been 
some post-game press conference answers, some anecdotes from Jets beat reporters about how Zach Wilson walks around that locker room after the loss to the Pat, that there's other reasons why we're seeing this change, and if Mike White can bring some stability not just to the locker room, but to the on-field performance in terms of medium deep throws, successful checkdowns, keeping the chains moving, like you said, very basic stuff. This could still very much be a playoff team. You're absolutely right. Well, that'll do it for us this week on an abridged version of the takeaway. Not diving in to everything we could have, but we're still giving you a little taste of the take just to tide you over on this holiday weekend. As always, I want to rec- recommend you take a look at the shows that we have curated from in the description below. Want to give a shout out to Underdog Fantasy. Double your first deposit up to $100 of promo code OUTSIDERS. Want to, as always, shout out our Black Friday sale. Now, through the 29th, 25% off. Everything that FO Plus has to offer you, access to the Discord, all of our databases, all of our former Almanac, fantasy advice, betting advice. Jackson, want to thank you, as always, for navigating these takes with me and talking some ball. Wouldn't want to do it with anyone else. Beautiful weekend for it. Thanksgiving's always great to talk some football because, man, we are getting close. We are in the final third leg of the league, regular season. We're diving in. You know, when bowls are starting to get, you know, we've got our annual uh, egg bowl watch and we've got a college football starting to wrap up. That's when you really got to get dialed in on NFL. And I feel like, like we kind of got this week, we're at the point where the takes are fine. We're at the point where people are really starting to get in their bag, getting takes on. As long as they're doing that, we will be here. And I did just want to say not only a belated happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening. A belated happy Thanksgiving to you, Kale, and to everyone at Football Outsiders who makes this train keep rolling. Special shout out to producer Ross for the amazing work that he does on this show. Couldn't be more thankful for the team I have around me, and I cannot wait for the rest of the season. Yes, thank you as always, Ross, who keeps the train rolling on not just the takeaway, but all of our FO digital productions. That'll do it for us. You can check us out every week over on the FO YouTube channel. Drop a subscribe while you're there. Give us a thumbs up. Really goes a long way. You can also check us out on the FO Podcast Network on any platform that you get your podcast. For Jackson, I'm Ken. Thank you as always for listening. We'll see you next time.